Hey everybody, I'm Rima. And I'm Sean. And this is Strange Indeed, a podcast dedicated to the show Castle Rock. Today we'll be covering the sixth episode from Castle Rock titled Filter. Filter. Isn't that a song? Uh, I think so, actually. Yeah. For some reason that just jumped into my head. Anyway, I'm really excited to talk about this episode. But before we do, let's talk about this week's sponsor first. So are you on a health and fitness journey? Why not get paid for it? 10 women are needed who want to get paid to share their health and fitness journey on social media. You do not need to be in great shape. You just need a passion for helping others. No experience necessary. Trainings are included. You do need to be a hard worker and self-motivated. Email insideout.fitlife1 at gmail.com for more information. And there, are, I guess there's a lot of these spots filling up. So if you're on the fence about it, go ahead and jump in. It's, you know, even if you're not interested in kind of doing this social media side of it, um, I'm just doing kind of the training side of it and Rima's seen the progression. Like I've just gotten yes. swole. My gains are ridiculous. <laughs> uh, but in seriousness, like uh, I'm excited to work out again. Like I'm coming home. I, they they have a lot of these workout programs all uh, you know spread out for you, planned for you. And it just really helps keep me motivated and focused. And uh, it's kind of nice to be excited about it again because my workouts were getting very stale. Um, I just did legs today, which I hate legs, but mm. once you're done and you see it, you feel good about it. Uh, so if you're interested in any of that kind of information, there's all kinds of free trials too if you want to try it out. Just email insideout.fitlife1 at gmail.com and she can get you all that information as well. Awesome. Thanks, Sean. You know, I love how it takes all the guesswork out. It's so hard to find effective programs, but then it's like, you know, you want to get started and you're like, I don't even know where to begin and what Mm -hmm. exercises to do. So it's super cool to have something that like takes it all of the guesswork out for you. It's super cool. I need something. Got to get into it. Well, speaking of getting into it, let's get into our top five this week. Sean, first, before you give us your number five, give me a quick head, like thumbs up, thumbs down for this episode. Did you like good. it? I thought it was a good episode. It was very suspenseful. Very, um, I, I got a really like uh, Alfred Hitchcock feel from this one. Mm, um, yep. So definitely a, a thumbs up. Um, this was written by one of the guys that I'm super like uh, interested in, or you know, somebody I follow quite a bit, Mark Bernardin. Um, mm-hmm. So I was, you know, whenever there's somebody that does, or somebody you know that does something, like you're always worried it's not going to be good and you're going to feel bad about not liking it. But this I had no qualms about saying that it was really, really well done. Uh, so really enjoyed it. Great episode. And I'm excited to kind of chit-chat about it. Me too. I like this one too. It had a little bit of trippiness, which I really liked. I'm always into that. So super excited. Uh, so with that, what was your number five? All right. So my number five is just uh, kind of a note that I noticed that in this episode, it seemed like we got a lot of creepy window staring. Uh, so we mm. see the kid, you know, the Shawshank, he's, you know, standing outside while Ruth looks out the window and he's just creepily standing there. And she says something even more eerie about like, oh, well, I thought we buried him in that suit. Yes. She doesn't say who, you know, we assume that she means her husband, but mm-hmm. um, in this episode, kind of some stuff that gets, you know, laid out there, you know, maybe that's not who she was talking about. Um, it ties into a little bit, but we almost get where, uh, the kid, the Shawshank prisoner, 
is almost acting like Goldilocks to an extent in this. You know, he he breaks into the house while nobody's there, and he starts laying in different people's bed. And I got a very like Goldilocks <laughs> and the Three Bears feel from it. Yeah, except um, the bears ate Goldilocks or something. It was just creepy and <laughs> yeah, and <laughs> malevolent. His, oh, and his like facial. I mean, we talked about it multiple times, but like his facial expressions in this episode, and um, yeah. he only maybe had ten lines, and each line just seemed. Super, super intense and super scary. Mm-hmm. Um, the other person that we got, uh, we see like, I kind of called it the Slender Priest. Uh, um, so we see Molly <laughs> yeah. hanging out. She looks out a window and who's there but the Slender Priest just kind of like uh. looking in and at her. Uh, again, very, very creepy. I'm assuming that is Henry's dad. I don't know for sure, but that's kind of what we've been led to believe. Uh, yep. Not really much touched on it um, and not much touched on these other pieces except the fact that Really got like a horror movie kind of, you know, looking out the window and seeing somebody stand there, which to me, one of the most scary scenes I think I've ever seen is like uh, when you see the movie, uh, what's it called? Um, it's the one with the the chick from Armageddon. Um, oh, Liv Tyler. Yeah, it's where the people break into their house. I can't remember what it's called. Oh, The Strangers? The Strangers. They look out the yeah. window and you just see like three people hanging out in masks. Yeah, creepy. That, oh, yeah. That movie was creepy. The yeah. nonchalant like, you know, you're not supposed to be in my yard, but you're in my yard just standing there like nothing's up is like just something's off their rocker when it's like that. Yeah, totally. I don't like that. I don't like that. I, I, that's like one of my... Well, I have a lot of fears. If you listen to me frequently at all, then you know I have a lot of fears. But that's definitely <laughs> one of them that I'm just going to like look out my window and there's just going to be this person just standing there like nonchalantly just like staring at you through the windows. Yeah. I mean, that's like, oh, and I, there's been uh, I've heard some people in my neighborhood have people doing that recently, it seems. Ooh. Which, oh, yeah. It's super like this, if I find somebody doing that, like, oof. No, I, yeah. do, I don't like it. I don't like it. I'm going to sick my dogs on you. Uh-huh. If yeah, you gotta, just FYI, people. <laughs> I've got a big dog who likes to bark, so that's... Yeah. yeah. Uh, I have big dogs. I have noisy dogs and dogs <laughs> that, like, that will bite you in the ass. So just FYI for any weirdos and creepers. <laughs> but I felt like this episode had a really good kind of creepy vibe to it. Like, that's a very horror trope that was done really well. It didn't seem like it was done in a sense of, like, overdoing it. And I like that you kind of saw two pieces of it. You get to see it with this priest... Very similar thing, but then you get to see it with a Shawshank prisoner. And that one line stuck with me. It's like, well, I thought we buried him in that suit. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm really curious if, you know, I don't really have her as my number on here, but Ruth seemed to really have a lot of details that she shared, but she didn't really share them in a way you can understand, if that makes sense. It does make sense. I think she knows a lot more than what she is leading us as the audience and everyone in the show, um, all the other characters in the show um, that we would have, have, you know, to believe. Um, I agree. And, and the fact that, you know, these events that you talked about, you know, creepy Matthew Deaver in that um, facial bandage that he had uh, and then the kid out in the yard, it happens in broad daylight, which to me makes it even more creepy. Yeah. You know, because it's like it's, oh, not everything, you know, um, knocks in the dark or whatever. Exactly, There's stuff that yeah. happens in the broad daylight and that really freaks me out. And I really wasn't expecting, uh, you know, dead Matthew Deaver right, standing right there outside the window. That that was a little bit of a jump scare for me. I know I kind of jumped a little at that. Oh, and that was during so, the day, too. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. I, I, didn't, when, I, I knew uh, um, the kids was, but yeah, I guess I forgot Deaver's was kind of in the daylight, too. 
Yep, because Molly was talking to someone on the phone about, you know, rent, renting a place. Um, so, yeah, she kind of turns around and then there he is. And I was not expecting that. So that, that you know, was a, a jump for me. The kid wasn't a, a jump scare, but it was enough. It was like creepy vibes. Definitely. Oh, yeah, yeah. Bill Skarsgård I, is doing such a good job. Oh, yeah. And that's what this episode, I think, did great. I think this whole series is doing great is there's not a lot of jump scares. I hate jump scares. They're cheap. Mm-hmm. They're not really... Like they don't, they scare you as much as like somebody's hiding behind a door and jumping out at you. It's like, oh, well, you know, it scared me because it was unexpected. Yeah. I find things that are more like, you know, you turn a corner and you're walking down and you see somebody at the far end, like you did with the kid. And you're like, oh, well, that's okay. That's odd. Because yeah. I think that plays on humans' uh, emotions more because most humans, I think, will try to be polite instead of realizing like, like trusting their gut. Like in the sense of the kid, like something's off with that kid. Like, you know, most like everybody's radars are going off like that. Something's not right here. But yet everybody's still like trying, like Henry Deaver's trying to help him. He's keeping him in his house. He's doing all these things that keeps him very close. But you don't know who he is. You don't know. This could be a psychopath. Like your gut should be giving you all kinds of weird warnings. But you're trying yeah. to do what you think is maybe the right thing. I, I, a little bit of a, I guess, a, a, ty- a t- not a tirade, but a tangent. Just that I feel like sometimes people don't trust their guts enough and that can get them into those kinds of situations. Exactly. I totally agree with everything that you just said there. And but I mean, and but to go along with what you said, I'll, I'll, I will say that even though Henry was like, you know, trying to do him a favor, he took him in and let him stay in that garage and stuff. That was his dad's. But then it's like as soon as he sees him creeping out in the yard and now that his son is mm. there and his mom is back from the hospital, he's like calling up that psych hospital <laughs> like okay do you have room for this guy yet because I have a he's creeping around my backyard <laughs> creepy kid from the prison yeah he was he was kind of standing there like okay now i'm creeped out yeah. too this They're is like, oh this great is... news we just we just had somebody uh es- i mean uh not escape uh <laughs> we uh, just got rid of henry bowers so a room just yeah. opened up that comes later <laughs> yeah i like yeah, that good number five that's my number five is just creepy window stairs Oof. Yeah, I could do without those, that's for sure. I'm like you. I I very much, I mean, I don't mind a good jump scare, but that kind of stuff doesn't really scare me. It's the more like these types of scares, like you said, just that creepy. It's like real people, like real events yeah. and real things and, and the things that people are capable of. I've talked about it before, uh, the movie Hereditary, which I won't give any spoilers or anything, but, you know, there's it's it's almost more about like these characters and like the things that people are capable of. And that like scares the hell out of me. <laughs> people scare the hell, hell out of me more than like a, you know, a vampire creeping around my corner. I wouldn't be scared of a vampire. I like vampires. <laughs> um, my number five is kind of short and sweet, but it's, it's visions of the past. So we get a lot of things that um, had happened in the past in this episode. We had Henry, he's following the trail that his father taped on that video recorder, which I thought was really cool. I mean, we've gotten flashbacks to the path, um, or to this path before and, and flashbacks of that night that Henry's dad took him out into the woods and, you know, trying to figure out what was happening and where they were going. And, and it looks like that, you know, they've been there before. So we had this incident that we actually get to see video of it and Henry's using it to, you know, kind of lead him through the woods. And it seems like it's just beyond their house. Like from what I gather, like they're in this really wooded area and he's just following this path that leads away from, from their house, which is kind of creepy. Um, and as you mentioned, we get Ruth Deaver 
seeing the kid. And I'm not a big fan of calling him the kid, just FYI. Um, but that's kind of what we're going on because that's how everyone knows him. Yeah, I wish um, they she, would give him some like, – because, I mean, like Shawshank Prisoners, like that doesn't really fit. The kid doesn't really fit. I know. I just – but, I mean, he doesn't have a name. We don't have anything to call him. But And that seems to be what's going around the internet. And I guess – how most people seem to know him, so it's just probably easier. But I'll be glad if we finally get a name uh, for this this kid. Um, but Ruth sees the kid in her dead husband's suit, thinking it was the one she buried him in like 30 years ago. And so we get some of the past. I think there could also possibly be a little foreshadowing in this scene when we get to the end of the episode. I think there's a little foreshadowing there. And then Henry... Uh, reburying his father at his church, um, kind of like a, a flash from the past because his dad was, you know, um, in the past and buried and he's kind of bringing him back and reburying him. Um, that reminded me like of the past as well. And then of course, all the visions of the past that we get um, in this episode in the woods and then the flashbacks that Henry gets later on in the episode. So I, I like to see that theme throughout. And I think that the past, the past and time are playing a big part in this episode. And I think it's probably going to get a little bit bigger as we mm. move along. So yeah, it's had a little bit of a role in in terms of like, okay, something happened, you know, 27 years ago. But now it's starting to feel like, okay, there might be more to this time shifting and time. It's not just the it's historical events that we're trying to review. It's like time itself is playing a key role in this. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yep, so that's my number five. What you got for year number four? All right, so my number four I thought was a nice little interesting. Uh, it's a tie into a lot of the Stephen King universe. It was Juniper Hill. So <laughs> we get to see it. Um, I like that, uh, you know, as they pull in, uh, Henry has a great line where he says, you know, it's a good place. It's better than what it used to be. Uh, something along those lines. <laughs> uh, as crows are flying around it, you know, very Ugh. ominous. Creepy crows. Uh, oh, yeah. Especially when there's like groups of them. Where was I the other day? I was somewhere. I saw like six crows hanging out. Ugh. I was like, oh, like this is this is ominous. It's the birds, man. Yeah. Birds, birds. There's been, uh, I've shared it on uh, YouTube. There's a, a, this was probably about six to eight months ago. I was just out for a run. And in the park up from us, there was probably at least, I think these were just blackbirds. I don't think they were uh, crows. But there's probably at least a thousand of these birds. Like I it, remember that video. Oh, it was creepy. Yeah. Like it literally took up the whole field. And as I got closer, they all just took off and flew. And uh, oh, it was super scary. I think that was was that on like something with uh, Alfred Hitchcock's anniversary too. Ew! I need stop. to research that. It was something with that. I thought I could be wrong. I could be making creepy. that creepy. I would have turned and ran the other way. <laughs> I'm <laughs> and, like, and I got covered, covered my face. I so got to get, get my 15 minutes of fame. <laughs> Uh, but I think that's on the language of bromance one or it's somewhere. Uh, if anybody's nice. really interested, I'll share it again. Um, but Juniper here, Hill is really cool. You know, you, it's a place where Henry Bowers goes. You get the crows, you get the one that dive bombs and, uh, basically, you know, kamikazes itself. Yeah. And, you know, you think like, oh, that's really like weird. You know, you know, the kid shows up and that happens, but they're like, oh my gosh, that's the second time this week. And it wasn't like a oh that's really weird that's two times in one week it's it seemed more of like this is a very reoccurring thing. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm curious whenever they said oh that's the second one this week did it happen to be when Henry took the kid there for his like little evaluation? Oh yeah, yeah good after call. he was released from the prison. I, I don't know how much time has passed 
from whenever he was released from prison, taken to Juniper Hill for evaluation, and then he took him to his his place. It seems like only a couple days or something have 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 passed. It seems, but I don't think we know that. And the last little bit about Juniper Hill, um, we get it when Alan is searching the the junkyard. He gets into his jeep and he turns on the radio, and we catch mm-hmm. uh, you know a radio a news report about. Juniper Hill and how there's a fire and I think like how X number of people had died and a couple people escaped. Um, they they don't really bury that lead like they don't just let that sit there for a couple episodes because we find out that you know the kid is escapes essentially. Yep. <laughs> but I thought that was kind of a neat ni- nice little tag right there. And there's multiple times this episode where there's stuff playing in the background. I don't think I caught everything that happened in those, but but that one definitely stuck out. Um, so kudos to, to the writers on this one because I always um, the newest it if you watch really close, there's spots where you can see kind of Pennywise or hear things in the background you're like, oh my gosh, like that's, that's Pennywise doing this. And yes. it's really really cool. And I've always kind of dug that kind of stuff. Right. Well and I mean this theory that so many people have that I'm still seeing floating around the internet. There are are a lot of people that are still, you know, throwing their hat in the ring for that theory that the kid, Bill Skarsgård is still some maybe, and and they're, they're kind of expanding on it just a little bit that maybe either he could still potentially be like Pennywise or like um, another version of Pennywise Mm -hmm. in, in some other form or in, some alternate reality or something like that. Um, I mean, it's not going to happen, but it would be (laughs) so cool if, because when did, I guess, uh, uh, the newest, it took place in like 88 or something like that. Right. Oh gosh. You know, I honestly don't remember. Can't remember. Uh, but but, I mean, if they picked him up in like 91, like if he found like a, a beaten up Pennywise, like in the drain, you know, maybe that's who was taking uh, Henry. Like, maybe he had Henry captured for a little bit. Um, right. I, they, they won't do that, though. I, I'm pretty sure they wouldn't do that, but it'd be pretty cool. You know, I, I don't discount too many theories as being, you know, um, in the Stephen King-type universe or at least a homage to the Stephen King universe. Um, I, I think anything could be possible at this point. I don't know if I would like that or not, but I think it's interesting. And I mean, they it certainly is a lot of, you know, throwing a lot of things at us. They have that same 27-year timeline, just like in It. You've got the same character, you know, playing, you know, the new Pennywise. And then, you know, we don't know really who he is in the show yet in Castle Rock, but, you know, I, people are definitely kind of jumping on that and expanding on it. So I think that's, I don't know. We'll see where it goes. Hopefully um, we'll find out in the next couple of episodes. We've only got a few left. Yeah. I mean, uh, and again, this episode was one, like I pause every now and then to write some notes down and you look, it's like, wait, there's 20 minutes left. Wait, there's 10. It's over. I know. I don't know how they do it. I mean, there's only been a, a handful of shows that I can ever think of that I've seen it fly by this quickly. Cause it's like, so even with like, the commercials it's so short it feels like because i always use commercials to kind of like well if i'm not taking notes it's like oh gotta go get a drink oh gotta go you know uh my dog just like you know tore up their toy and i've got to like go pick it all up or something and that's what i use the commercial breaks for if i'm taking notes i use it to take my notes and kind of keep up on stuff so it, it's it's amazing to look up and see oh there's only like five minutes left of this show because it goes by it amazes me how fast it goes mm-hmm. by it's so good um 
That's a good number four. I like it. Well, my number four, uh, I'm going to talk about Ruth a little bit. So (laughs) I think it's really interesting, Sissy Spacek and her portrayal of Ruth. I really love that speech that she gives to her grandson, Willie. And what does she say on here? I've got my notes on here somewhere. Nope, I don't have that on here. But she's talking to him and she's like, you know, I'm going to tell you something you can't tell anyone else. And she starts telling about how she feels she's like unstuck in time and she doesn't quite know where she is. Like she, she's like, you know, my dad could be outside right now um, tending his roses. Um, you know, you could be, you know, Henry sitting right in front of me or we've been sitting here before. And I like that she explains to him that she leaves a chess piece in each room. And that's how she knows that she's in the present and not like Mm -hmm. in a memory or for her, maybe in time. And I really like that her chess pieces are like her totems, Mm -hmm. which reminds me so much of Inception. Oh, my God. I love Inception so much. I've probably talked about it like a hundred times anytime when we talk about anything remotely close to, to that movie. If you haven't seen Inception, you have to go, you have to like get it now. Um, it's, it's, it's trippy. It's mind boggling and it's great. And it makes you question um, reality. And I love it so much, but she keeps those totems around. So she knows that she's in, um, you know, she's in the present And I think that it's interesting when we get this explanation or we learn about what's kind of happening out in the woods and why Henry, Henry's father was taking him out there, this schisma. And we have this notion of like time and that there are other places potentially. Um, I think it kind of helps explain a little bit about how Ruth is finding herself walking in and out of different times in her life. Um, So I think that that's interesting. And I think that that's going to kind of play a part moving forward because seeing some interesting other theories out there that I think are, are worth kind of talking about a little bit. And I think that, you know, I just like that whole thing. And of course, Sissy Spacek in general, I think that was, she just, she's really doing great. I really liked how, when she was talking to her grandson, uh, what's his name? Willie. I should have written his uh, name down. Wendell Willie. Uh, the hell who's Willie. Um, <laughs> so she's talking to Wendell. Um, still not a great name for a kid. Where the hell did that come from? Yeah, that's like an old, old name. Like I, I've got, my dad's got a cousin named Wendell and it's like a family name. But that's th- what I was thinking. Yeah. I was like, it's gotta be a family name or something. That poor kid, uh, Wendell. I, I, I apologize. You can't, even, you can't even shorten it to anything like Wendy, Dell. Uh, yeah. Like you, you can't, can't really do anything with it. Yeah, sorry to any Wendells out there. I don't. I mean, no offense. I don't have the most awesome name either. So, and I got teased mercilessly for it. Um, But I just love that. But Sissy SpaceX portrayal, how she was so convincing. Her voice inflections, how she was speaking really low, and her voice would get kind of high. I really loved her whole speech here, and I just think it was fantastic. And I think that this scene that we learned is definitely going to kind of play a part in episodes to come. Yeah, I thought it was interesting. Like when she sat there, she's like, "Hey, we've had this conversation before." Yeah, and I kind of like you know again, like you you mentioned a lot of the things, but uh, when she talked about her pieces, it, they seemed to me almost like breadcrumbs. Like mm-hmm. you know, she like you said, try to keep herself. What you know, is she in a reality? Is she not? You know, and and you could easily say like that's her way of dealing with her uh, medical condition, 
You right. know, she knows when she sees those, she's not kind of in some kind of weird space. But I kind of feel like in a Stephen King universe, it has more to it. Now, I don't know if you remember, but I feel like there's a connection between her and Henry because Henry had in his hand what looked to be like a chess piece, a carving. Is that the one that when when Alan Pangborn found him, that's yeah. are you talking about that when he was young? Yeah, yeah it was like that. So it's kind of like the same thing. It was it wasn't really a chess piece, but it did look like kind of a warrior thing. Mm-hmm. And the kid obviously carved one out of soap. Right. So again, I feel like those are too similar not to be related somehow. I don't know how they are or even if they are at all, but it just seems like those have some kind of connection. That's true, that they're all like totems or something. Very interesting. Yeah, I think I think that that's probably going to come into play, and it makes me wonder so much that maybe she doesn't truly have dementia. Maybe it's she has somehow, because she, ex- she explains to Wendell, she's like, you know, it's like those people movers at the airports. You know, we're mm-hmm. all moving forward, and somehow, I don't know when it happened, but I, I fell off, or I've you know, and she feels like she's moving around in time. So I think that there's that connection with that statement that she makes with what we learned about this schisma here in this episode and how they're so close. It, it appears, I mean, I don't know how, how far or how long Henry was walking in the woods, you know, out, out to this place where he thinks he was out there with his father and he meets up with Odin and Willie. That's who it was, Willie. Willie's that kid, the oh, Culkin yeah, yeah. kid. <laughs> that's that where I'm getting Logan Willie. Too? I meant to look that up. It wasn't Macaulay, it's his, it's brother, his brother Rory. Yeah. Gotcha. How many, I don't know how many, um, you know, um, Culkins are out there. There are like so many of those I Culkin think, siblings. Yeah, I think he's got like six or seven siblings. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of them and they're all actors. Um, <laughs> But he looks exactly like um, Macaulay Culkin, except uh, with darker hair. But he looked exactly like him. Cracked me up. Um, anyway, that's where, where I was getting Willie from in this episode. But I think that I can't help but think that there's a connection between that because they're talking about this. I feel like this thing happening out in the woods where there's the past and the present and the schism is like trying to merge them mm. And like they're, it's parallel and I feel like it's close to where she's at. It's somehow messing with her. She's somehow involved. I don't know if I had anything to do with Matthew Deaver or anything, you know, and how he was always out there and, and kind of poking around and so into to this, you know, that he was, he had friends and then he was wanting to build this device, which Odin ended up doing, but I can't help but feel that that's all kind of related somehow. And I don't really think that she has dementia. I think that she's kind of floating around. And you were talking about people being creepy, staring out or like being outside and staring into windows. She wasn't necessarily staring at a window, but when Wendell, uh, when Henry was bringing Wendell home and he's like, let's go find your grandma. And he knocks on the door and they slowly open the door and she's just like randomly standing there, right? Yeah. And, is, and she's just like, there and I was like, oh, that's kind of <laughs> that's a little unsettling that she's just kind of randomly standing there. And then she was looking at the bed, um, like she knew the kid had been there or somebody had been there. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. She had like a, she kind of had a smile when they showed up, but then she had this like very like it's quick scene. But yeah, mm-hmm. she kind of looks back like, and and like you said, like you don't know she has dementia. I'm wondering if she's playing a little bit of a part. Like maybe she plays up that she can't remember things a little bit. When yep. she's actually there just because she's protecting something or um, 
I, I just don't know. I feel like there's more there than her actually being completely lost. Like, I feel like there maybe is a little bit, mm-hmm. but there's time that she uses that to her advantage. Because, again, like, we're looking at maybe multiple different timelines. Yeah. So maybe in these timelines, maybe Henry is a bad person. Maybe, you know, Alan's a bad person. So when she falls into these things, she's trying to figure out, okay, like, who's the good person? Who's the bad person? Because there's basically a split, and this is a, an alternate dimension, um, so she, you know, she's bouncing around through those things. She's trying to figure out w- how to keep herself safe to an extent. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know if I truly believe that she has dementia or that she's ill in that way. I do believe the potential if she is moving around in time, like she says that that could, that could mess with her mind. I think that that could cause you to lose your mind, you know, um, I think that there have been stories like that in the Stephen King universe of people going through these different realities and timelines and such and jumping into these other worlds. It can drive you mad. So I think that it could mess with her potentially that way. And I definitely think that she plays it up because I don't believe her for a second when Henry was in her bedroom asking her, you know, what did me and dad do in the woods? And she's like, oh, "Oh, you know, just fishing and camping. And, you know, he just he's trying to draw out more. And she just kind of looks at him like she's all frustrated because it's like she knows the answer and doesn't want to tell him. And she's like, go ask your father. And, you know. Well, that's what kind of led me like that felt like a, oh, he's I need I need him to stop asking questions. So she kind of played that card of, you know, oh, your dad's still alive. Right. Go ask your dad. Yeah. And again, if she's in alternate timelines, maybe that's her trying to figure out if she's in the one where his dad's still alive. Maybe. Um, again, could be a far reach, but like with shows like this, you could totally do that and get away with it. I was going to say, anything is possible, I think, at this point. So anyway, kind of drew out my number four there. So what's your number three? So my number three, I just essentially put the tape. So we see the kid watching this tape, and I've had suspicions that there might be really, really bad stuff on this tape. Uh, apparently, there it may not. It may be bad. We don't know, but it might not be as bad as what I was thinking originally. Mm-hmm. Um, but we see Henry see this tape as well. He quickly turns it off. So again, I had some kind of like weird vibes with that. But he uses that tape almost essentially the same way as a breadcrumb, and he uses that to track through the woods. And we see him get lost in the woods. Uh, yes, very good. You know, he runs into this these new characters who saw him at the uh, the cemetery. In, in this, I'm always curious if things have more meanings than just just whatever they are. Mm-hmm. So when he's looking at his phone, they definitely you know sit on his phone a little bit longer than I think you would need to. And on his phone, it was nine thirteen, and the date was ten sixteen on a Tuesday. Don't know if that means anything. Maybe he just wanted know. to go to the club on a Tuesday. I don't know. <laughs> but I wrote it down and thought maybe it might come into play later. Yeah, I think, you know what? I don't ever discount things like that because I'm a huge, huge fan of the X-Files. And for anyone who is a big fan of the X-Files, there are tons of, like when you would look at it, uh, whenever they would show a clock on screen, whether it was like a digital clock or, or something, that time always meant something to somebody. It That's either meant cool. something to the characters. It always meant something to the story. It was usually something to do with Chris Carter, um, the, the showrunner and creator of the X-Files. It was like maybe his birth date, his daughter's birthday, something, you know, it was somehow relevant. It could may not be relevant to the story, but somehow that date or time that you saw always meant something. So I never, ever discount whenever I see a date or time that's displayed on a show. 
So we probably should just make note of that, or it might even mean something in the Stephen King universe, because I feel like they throw out those little, I don't know that this was an Easter egg, but just as an example, that one Nazi, that Nazi prisoner that the kid was shacked up with in isolation, he had a tattoo of 1488. Oh, on nice. his on his head, and some people thought they they admittedly said that it could have been like really reaching, but that it could have been like for, in homage to fourteen oh eight that Stephen King um, story that he had, and then uh-huh. that movie with um, that they later made with John Cusack and um, Samuel Jackson. So anyway, who knows? Good 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 observation. Yeah. And the only other thing I add to this: so from this tape, he he you know talks with Molly a little bit more. And what he asked her, it is Molly, right? I've been saying her name wrong before. It's Molly, yes. Okay, good. I, I've ingrained it in your brain. <laughs> <laughs> and then I contradicted myself. I'm like, crap, am I saying it wrong? Uh, you know, he, he goes back to her to figure out about like the whole woods thing. And he was like, did you see me in the woods? And she essentially now reveals to him that she killed his dad. And which I think is a huge reveal because you see that Henry's like, you're crazy. And mm-hmm. she's going on. I was like, no, we did it together. You did it through me. Um, and I don't think he's really bought into the whole shining thing yet. I think he's right. still kind of open to, you know, this is just a weird town, but there's not like pure evil here or any kind of supernatural stuff. Right. Uh, but we find out that Molly definitely believes in it. So I, again, I'm really curious what he's going to do with this information. It was a quick kind of tidbit. Um, but again, we've got four episodes left and it seems like he's got bigger things on his hands right now than trying to figure out how to deal with Molly. He certainly does. And I'm glad that you brought that up because that leads me to my number three, which is Molly's confession, which as you said, I think was pretty significant. I was wondering if she was going to finally let that out and, and how he would take that whenever it did come out. I mean, I feel like it had to come out. Yeah. Um, just didn't know when or how. And I love that she just, you know, kind of just said it. And she was very upfront. She doesn't try to hide, you know, her, her gift, you know, I don't, I don't know exactly what she calls it, but you know, um, she doesn't try to hide it. It seems like, you know, she's pretty open about it. And, you know, she, I think that we're kind of really getting at that really deep connection, which I think we saw hints of it, but that really deep connection that her and Henry have, and it seems like it's not so much that she can feel, what he feels like she can with other folks because um, she, she can just like be around people and hear things or she can pick up their feelings. But with Henry, it seems to go farther. And we got hints of that in, in earlier episodes when we got flashbacks of them as children, mm-hmm. you know, before his disappearance, you know, and he, um, we had that scene where Henry was walking across the street and he's standing in front of his house and his dad was like yelling at him or something and he makes that fist mm-hmm. and at the same time molly made the fist there was um, a scene where he like burned his hand too or something like that and she felt yeah it. yeah he yeah he burned and she felt it so you you kind of it, it was kind of hinting then that it wasn't so much that she could like she was really feeling not just picking up on his feelings but like she could really feel what he was doing or you know they were acting the same and so when she tells him, you know, I was, you know, I was with you there in the woods and he's like, well, what happened? And she's like, well, I don't know. I only know what you felt. And she tells him that, you know, you were, you know, that you were uh, what angry, was it scared or angry and then relieved. Yeah. Um, and she's like, well, you wanted him dead. And then goes on to tell him that, you know, 
I was there when your dad died, but it wasn't just me. You were there. When I looked at my hands, I saw yours. And I was like, oh my gosh. And I mean, that just, I think that was too much for him. I think that he kind of needed to know, but I think it was kind of overload for him. And he wasn't sure, obviously, how to process that information. Because, I mean, who really wants to think that you want your, your, your parents dead because he doesn't even remember like being angry at his dad when she's sitting here telling, you know, like you hated him and he's looking at her like, what, you know, how could I hate my dad? Um, cause he doesn't even remember anything that happened and he doesn't remember anything even prior to his disappearance. Um, cause his first memory was when Alan Pangborn found him after he'd been missing. So he doesn't remember any of that at all. And of course it's got to be ludicrous that, that somebody would say something like that to you. So it's a lot of information all at once, but I think that, um, I think it's definitely going to go into play a little bit later on as, as we continue on. I don't know anything. Of course, I don't know any spoilers, but I feel like, you know, we're finding all of this out for a reason. So that was my number three. Like it. Good. Number three. Um, you've touched on this a little bit, but my number two is just the the, the schism, or the yes. uh, I guess the schism is what you would call it. Schisma. Um, we get two new interesting characters. We get Odin and we get Willie. Um, Odin is deaf, so and Willie's kind of there to do the sign language. So all of that leads into this uh, this filter thing. This this and I I thought it was awesome. I'm like, oh my god, that's like the best podcast studio ever. <laughs> right. Like people pay good money for that. Nobody will hear my dog barking ever again. <laughs> um, I've heard of those chambers before. I've seen it like uh, just like stories about those that they build these like such soundproof um, rooms that when you sit in there, like you can hear your blood like pumping through your veins. No way. Because it's just so like just no sound can do anything really. And they wow. say I think like the longest somebody's ever been in there is like 10 minutes. Because after like a handful of minutes, people start hallucinating or hearing things and they just kind of essentially start kind of going crazy. Maybe and it's a schisma. Exactly. Like you, <laughs> so all of us are just kind of like we can hear the, the thing, but you know, once we get in that room, it's completely, completely isolated. The only thing that can filter through is the sound. No. I think yeah. that would be creepy. Oh, yeah. I thought what was interesting too in here is like the – and he, I kind of felt like this was going to happen. I felt this was a little bit cliche. But you see Henry kind of looking at it and be like, oh, wow, this is kind of interesting. And then he has the reveal that Odin made himself deaf. Um, and he, he's, you know, Odin's like, not deaf, perfect, and then locked him in. Um, so I think this kind of ties into, you know, Odin is trying to use Henry, I think, like his dad did a little bit, almost like a, you know, um, a tracker. Like a vessel? A vessel, a tracker, like to, like, you can hear the sound better than me, so I'm going to use you to get to that thing. Right. Now, to get to it, to stop it to make a sacrifice to it, to, you know, pray to it. I don't know. Uh, but somehow they're trying to use these guys to get there. And Macaulay Cogan and his brother, I don't know about any of his other siblings, but they're, <laughs> they have a little bit of a creepy look to them. I mean, yes, they, does. they just do. Uh, I've listened to Macaulay Cogan's podcast a little bit. It's pretty good. Uh, so I'm not like downing on him at all. Um, but like, you know, Willie and Odin just, creepy vibes right away and you know i don't know how many times if you're walking through the woods you know at the middle of the night and you run into people just hanging out by a fire like not even at a campground right. typically probably not a good thing um especially if they jump up and like try to stab you that's probably another warning sign but that that all goes back to like trusting your gut um and if henry trusted his gut he may not have ended up in the in the filter so oh my gosh 
Uh, yeah. Did you have any thoughts on the the schism or or Odin or this Winnebago or this filter? I I have some yes, um, and you're right about you know they can you know if you ever watched um, the the Good Son when uh, Macaulay Culkin I think it was Macaulay yes. Culkin was yeah, his, yeah. was a boy and was it his brother one of his brothers that played his cousin they weren't bro- they were, they didn't play brothers in the film they played cousins uh, it might have been I yeah think. I think it was one of his brothers uh, that played his cousin because they looked very similar I'd have to go back and look but it was. Um, I think in the 90s, it was after Home Alone and such. And I won't tell anybody anything about it in case you haven't seen it, but it was really good. He was creepy. Uh, maybe that's a little bit of a spoiler, but he was creepy in that, in that movie and uh, he did it really well. So yeah, those those Culkins. Well, that totally goes into my number two as well. So just to tag on, you know, about what you said, I think very much it, it it's, I think that Henry's father knew that Henry had this capability to hear it a little bit more than others because Odin had said, you know, some people never hear it. Some people hear it once and never again. And some people are here all the time, you know, like, like, or it comes and goes like with Henry, it comes and goes, but they feel like it's, it's very loud with him because he gets that constant ringing in his ear. That's, you know, very painful. He can't even hear himself talk and it, it causes him some pain. I think that his dad knew that and that's, you know, he, why he was taking him out in the woods all the time. Um, Odin had to have known about Henry because he was such good friends with his dad. And I think that he knew about the ringing in his ears and that's why he asked him about it. And I think that's, I don't know how or why or what, what is going to happen, of course, but I think why he threw him there in that filter. Um, he's expecting something to happen. And, um, you know, he's going to essentially make him like he's deaf, you know, like Odin is deaf and oh, he yeah, thinks yeah. that's perfect. That's how, you know, because he can't hear any other noise. He can't hear anything else. And that's all he hears is the schisma. And so that's, a, you know, I think what he's doing to Henry in this. Um, so I think... I don't know what to think, but I think that we also, we talked a little bit about early on when Henry was found, when Alan Pangborn, he's out in the woods, he's taking, drinking some coffee. He hears this noise, this crazy noise. And we, we commented on it, like in our, um, when the episode aired, this crazy noise out in the woods and it was like creepy as hell. And we talked about it, like, what the hell was that noise? And then all of a sudden after he hears that noise, Henry appears on the frozen lake, like out of nowhere. Oh yeah. Cause yeah. one minute there's nothing. Alan Pangborn, he's looking across, you know, the scenery, there's the frozen lake and the trees beyond. There's nothing there. He hears this really strange noise surrounding him in the woods and then all of a sudden the noise disappears and there's Henry is standing in the middle of that frozen lake. So I think Alan Pangborn heard it. That's my my theory. Then whenever he is, when Henry's in that filter, we get all these flashbacks. Now I need to go and look these up. I did not um, do my due diligence with some of this research. I know there are some people that have some like screenshots of all the visions that he saw while he was in the filter. It looked like he was going crazy. It felt but- like the Willy Wonka ride. From the old, the old movie. <laughs> yeah, it was trippy. Uh, that whole thing was kind of trippy, how um, you were getting these strange flashbacks and this, you know, weird liquid mercury looking kind of visual and stuff. But um, we got the visual, we got these flashbacks again of him being kept in this cage, mm-hmm. you know, behind uh, so- some sort of cage-like thing and in the dirt and playing in the dirt. Um, so it makes me think, where was he? Was he in another, uh, clearly another place, but like 
another reality. Oh or, yeah. What if? Yeah. What if there's a time frame where he was the one that was in the prison? Yeah. I I don't know. Mm. I don't know. But I. So we're, we're, we learn a little bit. Um, Odin says through Willie. Best I can tell, schisma is actually nanoscale turbulence is caused by cochlear. Uh, quantum totalities abrading in parallel other ears other nows all possible pasts all possible presents schisma is the sound of the universe trying to reconcile them so he's explaining that the nature of the schisma um, is supposed to be this idea that we can hear our universe and is trying to reconcile itself with alternate planes of reality and the schisma is trying to bring them all together um I'm trying to break it down so I can actually understand it. And he's well, it's like, like a, it's like one of those uh, um, comic book crossovers where, you know, whenever they, the universes get too out of hand, they have like a big <laughs> event to try and make like one universe. Yep. That's yeah. What it is. I think that's what the schism is trying to do. Cause there's all these different planes and there's, he, there, it's trying to reconcile it and that some people hear it like a ringing in the ears. And he says it's louder now than it's been in decades. So I wonder if the decades, the last time that it was as loud as what it is now is when Henry disappeared that or when he came back. Range. Yeah, around that time frame, either when he disappeared, when he came back, or around that whole 11 days that he was missing. Um, so, like I said, we get those flashbacks, and it makes me wonder if Henry was in some other reality. And so I did some digging and some poking around, and according to the Stephen King wiki, um, I feel like this whole idea of the schism, schisma, sorry, kind of ties into the universe of Stephen King, because... There's a thing called um, a thinny, T-H-I-N-N-Y, in the Stephen King universe. So this is according to the Stephen King wiki. Um, A place, uh, a thinny is a place where the barrier between worlds is thin, a concept first introduced and explained in King's fourth Dark Tower novel, Wizard and Glass. Um, Though they are also retroactively attributed to events in The Talisman and King's novella, The Mist. Finneys look almost like mercury, fluid and shimmering, and most importantly for our purposes, they emit a strange sound that has been compared to someone playing the saw as a musical instrument. The sound can infect the minds of those who hear it and has been known to drive people mad. If you walk into a thinny, there's also a chance you will end up in another universe. Hmm. So I'm just, I think that there's something to this and I, and, and I think um, we're going to probably get a little bit more. And I love this whole story. It's, it's just so Stephen King being such a big Stephen King nerd. Um, I'm just totally wigging out over all of this. And then they talked a little bit more about whenever Odin was talking about the schisma, it reminded me of one of Jake's lines in the dark tower and all of you dark tower fans. I hope we'll jump on board with me here. Um, so Jake, one of the main um, characters in the Dark Tower, he traveled from our world into a parallel universe and says, go then, there are other worlds than these. Which again, reminds me very much of what, what I think that they're kind of hinting at. I don't, obviously we don't get to know because it kind of ended on that cliffhanger. Mm-hmm. But um, that actor... Um, CJ Jones, he was in baby driver. Did you okay. see baby driver? I've seen the, the trailers and stuff for, but I didn't actually see the movie. Go watch baby driver. Man. Don't wait. Yes. Oh, it's so freaking good. 
you have to watch it and I hear all about it because you're a big music fan and mm. anybody who's a big music fan, I mean, this isn't the only reason that it makes it good, but if you're a big music fan um, and loves music, watch this movie. Anyway, he's, and he's really deaf, um, CJ Jones. He is a deaf actor and I really think he did such a great job in this role. His in I know it was sign language, but it seemed like he almost used like people use inflections or um, in their tone when they're speaking. Mm-hmm. I feel like he had that when he was signing. I thought it was so good. I just, I don't know. He was, I was really fascinated with him and I really thought it was interesting. I don't know if it has anything to do with it or not, but I was like, Odin, why is that so familiar? And when I looked it up, Odin is the name of the Supreme Norse God of art, culture, wisdom, and law. Who is handsome, charming, and eloquent. Yeah, and I think Odin only has one eye, if I'm not mistaken. Mm, I don't know. I, I didn't get that far in, into Wiki. Because <laughs> you've seen um, American Gods, right? Oh, yes. So the main Love character in that, the main god, I believe that's Odin. But I think he's got both of his eyes in American Gods. I thought one of them was glass. Oh, well, he didn't wear a patch. Maybe one of them was glass. You know, God, American Gods was a long time ago. That yeah, show has been I mean, off the air. I read the book. Uh, and I want to watch the movie or the TV show. I haven't watched it yet, but uh, do it. Yeah, again, so many things. I know, I know, but it's it's. I th- shit. How 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 many was it? It was on Stars, and I think it was only like ten episodes. Yeah, or I think something. it was only like eight or ten. It didn't seem like it was many. Yeah, it wasn't very many, and it was so good. Oh, I'm. I hope hope they do a good job with season two. Anyway, I digress. But that that was me rambling on. Like I said, I cannot keep my thoughts straight when I talk about the show because I have all these theories and all these crazy things in my head. So I'm sorry. I was totally rambling. Um, what's your number one? Well, my number one, uh, I just kind of titled Alan Scavenger Hunt. So we mm. see at the end of last episode him and the kid kind of making a deal. He finds that the, the kid tells him, like, I can help her. And we see him go off, you know, talking to him at the beginning. Like he's going on some kind of scavenger hunt to find something. Goes to a junkyard, finds uh, his vehicle, which for some reason I thought maybe something in his old vehicle would have been what they needed. But it ends up being the warden's truck, the warden's car, what he died in. Mm-hmm. And it's really, really interesting because as he gets back, he has a conversation with the kid. He's like, they're going to bring it back here. He's like, what the hell do you want it for? And the kid's like, we're going to make a monument. It's going to be a monument to the warden. Which, again, I don't understand why you'd want a monument to the warden, especially if he had you trapped. So I'm, I don't understand what that means. Uh, I don't think it means anything good based on what happened yeah, next. Yes. <laughs> so, and that's what you get. So, you know, you see him getting pissed off, Alan, that is. And the kid looks up at him. And so this is where you try to wonder, like, was this the kid's goal to get Alan away for this time? And he only asked him, he's like, why'd you leave me in the trunk? And yes. it, I, I couldn't get a grip on what, you know, it didn't seem like it was anger or sadness. It was just, it was a pure statement. And you see the blood on the kid's hand. Now, when I saw that, I first thing you think of is Ruth, right? Because he, we saw a little scene with Ru- him walking in, the kid that is walking into right. Ruth's house, taking off his shoes and everything. After setting fire to Juniper Hill. Yeah. Or, or well, just randomly allegedly. setting on fire. Allegedly. <laughs> and he and three others escape from Juniper. He just casually walks in the house and hangs up his coat and takes off his shoes and scares the hell out of poor Ruth. Yeah. <laughs> but I th- I'm pretty sure what I saw when he was sitting there, it looked like blood was trickling down from his arm. 
Yes. So I'm thinking that the blood we saw may not be Ruth's. I think it's his. Yeah. I I think think he was injured. Yeah. I think she, wherever she is, because she was not in the house whenever Alan went running into the house and, and was yelling for her. Um, and, and sees the house a mess. There is blood on the floor, blood on the stove. I think it was his because it looked like it was, um, it didn't look like bloody hands like when you've just, and because I know from experience, I can speak about this, right? That <laughs> it does look like when you've killed somebody and you got blood all over your hands, you know, hey, I've seen enough movies. Um, <laughs> it looked like it was from an injury. It looked like it was, like you could see the blood flowing from his upper arm. Yeah, he was wearing exactly. long sleeves, but it looked like it was coming down from his arm up above his sleeve. So I think that, I think she fought back. I, she, I mean, she looked like a tough old bird, man. Did you oh, see her yeah. carving up those fish, you know, in She's those other episodes? She's not somebody to mess with. Hell no. And I mean, she seems to, like, she does pretty well for herself. She was joking about when Henry was asking her, or, you know, like, hey, what did me and dad do in the woods? And she's like, oh, the camping, fishing, um, hunting, whenever it was in season. And she's like, I had to teach him most Mm. of it. So she seemed quite capable. She's a tough lady. um, And and she was joking about how, you know, she's like, oh, uh, Alan thinks that I I just like trout. Truth is, I just like to gut them. And I'm like, like, damn, Ruth, you got a dark side lady, and I like you. But um, I think she's she's capable. So I think she definitely injured him in whatever transpired between those two. Mm. And I think it's really interesting to hear Alan when he was running in there because it was he, like, he, again, we've talked about this before. Like he genuinely loves Ruth mm-hmm. and him yelling Ruthie as he's walking through. Yeah. Uh, you know, just I uh, again, good well, ending to the episode, like just made me want to hit play on the next one. If I could, which I can't until Wednesday. I know. And I'm so glad. I mean, not, I, we've always been tempted before to, to jump forward because these episodes, not just Castle Rock, but other shows we've watched, we've always held back, but I don't know how well I'd be able to hold back on this one because hot damn. Um, so I'm glad we, we, we can't watch, watch it right away. But I think that you just, you just talked again about, you know, that the love loveliness that we have between Ruth and Alan and, and we got to see that softer side of Alan's character that he not only if you if you doubted it before if you didn't see it before in the last episode that sweet love between them and their sweetness in their relationship and that you didn't think that he you know if you still didn't know that he really loved her to me this episode really said it because yeah. to me because this is my number one as well so I'll just talk about it um that he essentially, in my opinion, made a deal with the devil, or at least how he sees it, a deal with the devil, because mm-hmm. he, he, you know, the kid tells him in the other episode, in the last episode, you know, I can help her. And what well, he's willing to do just about anything for that, including making a deal with this kid who he has vehemently told everyone or that will listen is the devil. And it, he's bad. He was telling the warden, don't let that kid out of the cage. Um, you know, and he tells the kid himself, he's holding a gun to him, you mm-hmm. know, that he believes he believed warden Lacey when he said you know the devil was a boy um yeah no matter what this kid is he believes something is evil within this kid right and he he's willing to make a deal with him because he thinks that whatever this kid is capable of that he can help Ruthie like come back uh, from her her dementia I mean it's it's a story that's been told thousands of times but yeah it's a really scary thing to to think like you know if you have a situation like listen I will you know it's the the it's risking one person for, for millions or whatever. It's like, I'm willing to save the person I love and potentially cost the lives of millions. Yeah. You know. I know. And thing. it, and it makes me curious if, if the kid really cared 
at all about the car, the Warden Lacey's car, or if he if he is planning some sort of strange monument to the warden and everyone else who helped put him in that cage, um, or if it was just to get him away from the house so he could, you know, whatever yeah. it is that happened, we don't know what happened. We don't know where Ruthie is. And where's Wendell? Where's Where's Henry's kid? Because he was there. Oh, yeah. Good point. Well, or at least, and, you know, we thought, I mean, last we saw him, he was there at the house. And that's the only lackluster thing from the previous episodes. We said the same thing about like, well, Henry like just wasn't there. And now in mm-hmm. this one, it's it's different. So uh, maybe there's nothing there or maybe there's a timeline shift or, or maybe Wendell was the one that saved her. Um, oh, God. Like what happens if Wendell like stopped him and he touched him and something happened to Wendell? I don't know. I, I think uh-huh. anybody that touches that kid is not good. I wish I could um, get on an alternate timeline where it was already Wednesday. I know. <laughs> <laughs> let's find that Finny and let's jump ahead so we can watch the next episode. Um, again, talking about Bill Skarsgård's acting in this, he's he's done such a great job from the first episode until this episode playing this you know kid who... I mean, the camera makes him look freakishly tall, and he is tall. Uh, yeah. Bill Skarsgård oh, yeah. is tall. He's like six three and a half, almost six four. Well, I how believe. he stands too, like he's super tall, but he kind of hunches over and is still yeah. tall. And I think that's what you know. You think of like, just it just like even though you're tall and you still hunched over and you're still tall, just has that like weird, creepy vibe to it. And it's just like he's just I don't know. It just it, it doesn't stand naturally. Right. You know, and, uh, yeah. Agreed. He's he's he almost seems almost inhuman like that. The camera angles make him look freakishly tall. I think like whenever he was standing in the prison cell and that deputy warden um, when he was freaking him out and he was like um, quoting that Bible verse and that deputy warden was backing out of that room and he stands up over him and he looked. I think just the way the the angle was made him look freakishly tall. I think again, in this episode when he's standing next to Henry, I think they were at Juniper Hill. Um, I didn't put it in my notes, but I think it was there. Uh, he's standing next to Henry and that nurse is in front of him. He looks really freakishly tall and he walks like he's never walked before. And he's very, Bill Skarsgård is so deliberate in, in, in pulling this off and he seems innocent. He seems out of place. He seems you know, nervous and unaware of the world. But then in this episode here at the very end. And then like when he, when you mentioned he's staring at Ruth through the window, that was very menacing. And there at the very end when he's having that conversation with, with Alan mm. Pangborn, that was very menace, menacing and not that kid that was trapped in a cage for 30 years and that he's got a plan um, for something. So that, that was also my number one. Very good. Oof, good episode. So a couple <sighs> notes I had. Um, I kind of noted that there, there seemed to be a little bit of a theme of father and son in this. Um, mm-hmm. One with Henry's kid coming. Um, and I thought one line I picked out of this, which was really interesting, was when they're talking about a father and son, it said, you know, how can he know you if you don't truly know yourself? Yep. So how can your son really know you if you don't know yourself? I thought it was, you know, just not even this is like a very interesting thing because you always kind of – you know, as a father type thing, like you want you want your kid to know you, but like if you're lost in this world, kind of thing, like can they really know you? It just it just kind of an interesting line. Yeah. Um, and then we get to see, you know, I mean, that question could definitely be raised with Henry's dad that he's rebearing. Like he doesn't know his dad. Did his dad really even know himself? Is what he was fighting for. Hmm. 
Very good. Other interesting notes. Um, when the kid was in the house, it was a quick scene again, but I don't know. Did you notice on the wall the cross in the dust? Yes. So, like, they had a cross hanging up that was no longer there. Um, and as he's walking through, they're playing a song about, like, uh, the sun won't shine anymore, the the moon won't, ha- won't be as bright or as high or something like that. Like, the song seemed to have some kind of interesting tones to it as well. Uh, let's see. In my last note – well, actually, a couple more notes, sorry. Um, we talked about the dark ominous to it, like the crow, the burial. Um, questions about uh, – Henry was kid was asking him about like what it was like to be adopted and everything like that. Mm-hmm. And uh, then he asked what is, who his real parents were. And um, it was just really interesting of, you know, for Henry to be like, well, these were my real parents, which again, he may not remember his original parent or his birth parents. Uh, but I always think that's, you know, whenever a family adopts, like I think that's, that takes a lot of courage and things like that to be able to raise a kid um, as your own. And, you know, have those questions that, you know, inevitably will get asked. Uh, yeah, that was a missed opportunity, I think, too, with his his kid. Yeah, good point. Yeah. Uh, in my last note, I feel like this was written by Mark Bernardin. I feel like this might have been a Easter egg for Kevin Smith. So oh. as Wendell and Henry are in his room, Henry has a hockey poster hanging up on his uh, on his wall. And, uh, you know, his son kind of made some comment about, like, like hockey, really. And uh, his dad says, well, you know, yeah, that's the most famous black hockey player of all time. Uh, and Kevin Smith, uh, who does a show with Mark Bernard called Fat Man on Batman, isn't it a huge hockey fan? He is. So I kind of wonder if that was a little bit of a, a nod to his podcast partner, Kevin Smith. Very interesting. That would be, if you if you find that out, let me know. There weren't a whole lot of Easter eggs in this episode, so um, I'll just spoil everyone now that we typically have that around our news segment, um, the Easter eggs. This one was pretty light. There weren't really like a whole lot to, to point out, which I don't think that we need that. It's just a fun little piece. Um, but I think that it's not necessarily like a Stephen King Easter egg, but probably, like you said, a nice little Easter egg uh, from the, the writer on this episode. Um, with, with, yeah, with Kevin. So I like it. Notes, notes, notes. I have a lot of notes. I've been trying to scribble out what I already talked about because I have a lot. Um, so don't ever feel bad for having a lot. There's a couple that I have, and some of these are more observations than just notes, but I really like in in this episode and they really know how to use music in all the episodes. This one, really just because we have talked a little bit about time and how Ruthie was talking about like she's like unstuck in time and I feel like the music in the show kind of makes you feel like you don't like you could be anywhere in time according to the to the music that plays like in this episode we got the sun ain't gonna shine anymore by the Walker Brothers um really nice little melody but I feel like you know you could forget where you are in what like in what time that you are. So I just, I really like that. I really like all the music in the show. And I think that they do a really great job and it's not necessarily always songs, but just like the music in general, that really sets the tone for the scene that really helps add to the creepy factor. Um, it made me curious the scene when Alan went to go pick up Ruth from the hospital and she's sitting with the neurologist before she's discharged. And she says, I gave you some words to repeat back to me. Can you, can you say them back in any order? And it doesn't stick around for that to hear what words, but I thought what was interesting in 
other episodes when Henry was getting his, um, uh, he was getting his consultation for his ringing in his ears and they asked him to repeat words back and they did the same thing with the kid at Juniper Hill during his first visit. They both had to repeat the word family in that list Mm. of words. And I'm like, did Ruth have to do that? That's what I was waiting for too. Yeah. Was was family in that, but we didn't get to see that. So I don't know. And it might not be anything. It just kind of made me curious. Like, Oh, is she going to have to say family too? Um, you brought up that Henry didn't talk about his birth parents. I, I thought, I think he knows more or maybe he doesn't because he, he claims to not have any memory of anything. So maybe I'm totally off on that, but I feel like he was, that was a deliberate diversion with, when his kid was like, you know, what, what were your parents like? And it seemed to me that he just didn't want to talk about it. Like he doesn't want to talk about his real parents that he says, you know, grandma, grandpa, my real parents to me that, is like a dismiss of the subject and we're just not going to go there. Um, the Bible verse that was quoted from Matthew Deaver's um, handout at his funeral, death is swallowed up in victory. It's from Corinthians fifteen fifty four, And um, it goes when the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come to pass. Death has been swallowed up in victory which I think considering we have someone on this show that could be immortal, like the kid, yeah, um, could be relevant. I don't know. Um, I, I read, let me make sure this is like the last of my notes because I feel like that's going to be a long one. So I was poking around as one does trying to read more about this episode and get some, just see what other people are saying. I found this on Reddit. I don't know. I did not get this uh, user's name because I wasn't thinking about doing that, but there's a rumor or there's a theory that I see I've seen floating around that says, um, so when Henry, when Wendell was asking his dad, you know, well, how did they come to adopt you? Why didn't they, didn't they have, try to have their own kids? And he says, well, uh, they, they, they did, they tried and he was lost during labor. Mm-hmm. And so I guess they didn't want to go down that path anymore. So then he, you know, that's how Henry came about to be adopted at the foster home. So there's this theory that I thought it just blew me away when I heard it and it could be totally off, but I thought it was so interesting. I had to bring it up. What if the kid is Ruthie's long lost biological son? That's uh, I had that as a note. I missed it, but yeah, I was thinking the same thing. Cause again, it was one of those things that was thrown away right there. She seemed to notice him. Like when she said, Oh, I thought we buried him in that. Yeah. Almost like uh, the kid reminded her of her husband. Yeah. You know, like a son would probably remind you of, you know, based off genetics and everything. So what other kind of – did they have some more information on that that theory to kind of give it more uh, credence? So uh, a, a few of the supporting details that they offered was the time dilation compression um, that we already know that there's something weird about the kid not aging normally. Alan mm-hmm. Pangborn had mentioned, you know, you have that same face as you did 20. He's like, I'm an old man. And you have the same face that you had 27 years ago. Um, also, the kid seems pretty familiar with the customs of being in Ruthie's house. We've talked about yeah. already how he just, he just walks in the house. Like he's been there before. He's comfortable with it. He lets himself in. He hangs his coat up. He puts his shoes, you know, takes his shoes and shoves them to the side. You know, he just seemed familiar there. And also Ruthie doesn't ask who he is. Huh? Good point. Like who's that, who's that man? It's almost like she seems to recognize him. Ooh. And you know, when she said something about ask your father, 
maybe mm-hmm. she, you know, if she's is uh has Alzheimer's, maybe that's who she thinks that kid is, is you know, her old husband. Yeah. So that's that's one little theory that's going around is that the kid is some version of her biological son, maybe from a different multiverse hmm. or something there that, you know, her baby was in another dimension and he lived and grew into a version of the kid or something. So I read that and I was like, Oh my God. I mean, it'd be interesting <laughs> be, for sure. Could be completely off. I don't know, but I thought that was just with, with everything that we kind of learned in this episode and just little other tidbits that we've gotten. I thought it was kind of interesting. Um, I definitely didn't think of that on my own or anything. So anyway, that's all my notes. Nice. Okay. So that was it for our top five. That was super fun to talk about. I really liked that episode and I'm anxious to get on to, yeah, God, next week we're going to be on episode seven. There's only 10. We got to wrap up the story. We got to wrap up the story. Um, There's going to be a lot that happens. So with that being said, it's time for some news. Sean, do you want to read that one for us? Sure. This one comes from the Hollywood Reporter, And I feel like this is like some really, really great news. It is. So Hulu is going back to the land of Stephen King. The streamer has handed out an early second season renewal for Castle Rock. According to Hulu, Castle Rock became the most successful first season original launch in terms of consumption and reach on the day of its July 25th premiere. I think that's a lot to do with us. We had a lot of word of mouth like yep. celebration of this this TV series. I think so. Hulu should uh, hand over <laughs> some cash. <laughs> so the series also has the highest view through rates for Hulu's original in its first and second weeks since its launch, the streamer says. Each season is going to be its own self-contained story, beginning, middle, and end, showrunner Dustin Thompson said uh, to The Hollywood Reporter. But I think that just as the books do, we want to surprise the viewers with the ways in which the stories intersect. Just the places the characters pop up in very unexpected ways throughout the book, that's the kind of anthology that we would like to tell. I would be 150% down for this. Like If this story, season one, is a self-contained thing... yeah. It it ends and you got a season two where maybe they reference things from this or maybe some mm-hmm. other stuff carry over. Uh, totally down for that. Like I love anthologies that do stuff like that. Oh my gosh, I was super excited and I already kind of knew that it was going. I mean, even before they announced season two, they had already talked about like if 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 it goes on, we're planning on doing an anthology that each season will be its own story. And I'm a huge fan of that. Any you know, if you're a fan of Fargo, they do the same thing. The the television show Fargo, each season stands on its own. Um, not that they can't be related or that you might not hear a reference to a, you know, a different season or something in passing or something. But, um, and this, that makes total sense because this is, that's what Castle Rock kind of does with the Stephen King universe, right? We hear yeah, references sure. about Cujo and The Shining and, you know, all these little tidbits. So, I mean, it totally makes sense that even if it's an anthology, a, a standalone story that we wouldn't hear about maybe characters from the first season or references about something that happened. So I'm super excited about that. They just announced that. Um, I think it was yesterday or the day before. So, and, uh, I think whenever I posted it on our Facebook page, um, I, I had tagged you on and said job security. Yeah. <laughs> Between <laughs> like, Castle Rock, uh, Stranger Things and Black Mirror, I think we're covered for a little bit in Lost in Space. Okay. I think it got renewed. Yeah, I think, it, yeah, it, it did. We don't have it like when it's going to air, but, um, but yeah, it did get renewed. So job security, keep it rolling. Anyway. Yeah. That, so that's it for the news. Thanks Sean for 
picking up on that one. Um, so now it's time for letters from Shawshank. The first one is from Rory Toms. Um, says, wow, one hell of a juicy episode. Sissy Spacek is just incredible. Ruth's monologue about her chest set and dementia was so touching. I don't really get Pangborn's sudden about face on the kid. I know he just wants to help Ruth, but it seems a bit incongruous that he just believes the kid straight off. Odin and Willie are just awesome. Batshit crazy, but awesome. They were also at the bridge dedication as well as the funeral. Oh, were they? Yeah, yeah, they were there in the Winnebago. Oh Shut no the up. the bridge I guess at I the didn't bridge see that. dedication. Huh, Shit. I have to look back for that. Damn, I gotta go back. Thanks, Rory. I totally missed that. Thanks for pointing that out. Um, um, yep, at the bridge dedication as well as the funeral. Culkin and Jones were stellar in their performances. I agree. I did look up Schisma, but my music theory. Pythagorean maths and discard his knowledge is somewhat lacking and have almost no idea what the hell it is. (laughs) I'm thinking it's to do with harmonics and tunings, but if you guys can explain it, I would greatly appreciate it. Um, Sorry, Rory. Wrong place for that. I left my bio and acoustics um, degrees at my other house, so (laughs) (laughs) I cannot. But thanks for that insight. That was really great. I love that. I'm going to have to go back and watch that now. I feel like I missed a lot during that bridge dedication. Uh, so our next one comes from Laura Woolley Swink. So damn it. Did I somehow forget this was Stephen King's universe? I had to realize that the sweetness and love between Alan and Ruthie last week had to be paid off with something horrible. I'm keeping a candle burning for Ruth. Sissy Spacek has been so darn wonderful. I hate to see her gone. And it seems the kid is not as benevolent as people are thinking. I don't think he himself causes harm to anyone, but he can definitely summon up despair and tragedy. I did find it odd that someone who was baffled by a shower managed to operate a VHS player. And where's Wendell? That's a good point. He very was um, like looking at a shower like it was very odd. Mm-hmm. But yet, um, oh, well, oh God, could you imagine being trapped down there for 27 years without a shower? Like I shower like four times a day. So. Yeah. I, well, I do not. Um, <laughs> people probably don't want to know that. I work from home. I don't, never, never mind. I'm going to say anything else. <laughs> Every couple months, you're like, what is this thing? <laughs> oh, it's the shower. You can edit that part out. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Next one's from Maureen Favo. My big question of this episode is whether the signing of the technical acoustic terminology matched the translation. Hmm. I don't know. I, I, that's fascinating. I wish I could answer that question, but I don't know if anyone has has that answer. Let us know because I'm intrigued. All right. And our last one is an email. So some different bullet points here. So the thoughts running through my head during Henry's Woods experience was how smart to take the video of him with him with the landmarks. Would someone think of that back in the 80s, or did it take cell phones and walking video norms of present day for it to occur? Crap, that always happens. You're going along fine, then interference, and you are caught in the woods after dark without a map or landmarks. (laughs) (laughs) Who the heck is this by the fire? For a minute, thought it was the kid from a previous time. Oh, that's interesting. Worse, it is those creepy observers. When the sign language translation started, I was like, interesting. Then when all the technical stuff started, I was like, wow. Then I laughed but thought better of it because we all know in these woods after dark with the suspense building, all episodes, not the time to laugh, might get caught mid-laugh with blood and cuts. (laughs) (laughs) 
Wonder if I found someone who could read sign language, verify if he was saying what was being interpreted, or if he was signing something like, all you sign language people know this is crazy, <laughs> would go along with all the tech language if anyone asks you. <laughs> uh, Henry, don't you dare step into that RV. Henry, don't you dare decide to get closer, look at that room. Henry, don't let those guys you have known for minutes who are creepy and telling you creepy stuff block your exit from the RB. Really? You walked into the room with no exit or windows? That is soundproofed? Wow. For as stupid a decision Henry just made, it tells us how lost and confused Henry is, how desperate for answers, and it kind of worked. So is Mom Deaver Sissy Spacek a time traveler? Did this version of her interaction with Henry when he was missing years ago? Hmm, intriguing. Uh, the Alan Pangborn I know from the books would never have trusted any help from the kids. Several days ago, he was telling the warden to keep him locked up. How desperate is he? Also, this is the third love of his life. Uh, one additional question is, do you think Warden Lacey's wife knows all about the acoustics? With being blind, her hearing would be more sensitive. Will we see her again? Oh, that's a very interesting uh, observation. I agree. Thanks, Mo Favo. Yeah, this for comes that. from Mo Favo. That was, gosh, that was a lot, uh, lots of observations. Again, it looks like my, my notes when I'm taking, or when I'm taking notes, watching these episodes sometimes, I don't know if that's really good because we, we have Odin who's deaf, you know, and feels like he's perfect because he doesn't have the noise of the world, which even mm. when you feel like you're in a quiet place, whether it's in your house or outside in a really quiet place, there's always noise. There's always yeah. noise. So, I mean, what he was saying, you know, that this could be the quietest place on earth. And again, you know, you know, I don't know anyone that is blind, but that is supposed to be something that, you know, you're, you're told is that when you lose one of your senses, all of your other senses kind of make up for that loss, you know, and that, you know, I, I've heard that before that blind people's, you know, hearing is very sensitive because it's kind of making up for the loss of your sight. So that would be very interesting if she could hear anything or knows of anything or something. Um, and yeah, would we see her again? I hope we see her again because that actress is phenomenal. She is so, so good. I love her. We also have, um, a voicemail this week from Steve Brown. Wow. I, uh, I wasn't going to send a voicemail. I was just going to write an email, but then I realized all the stuff from this episode, that ending, the cliffhanger, that's just crazy. Um, the, the deaf actor, that's amazing. Uh, according to the after the episode, the actor playing the older African-American gentleman is actually deaf. He's a deaf performer. I thought that was really cool that he brought that to the part. He's such great expressions on his face. And, uh, just so many things in this episode that I can't wait to hear what you guys thought of Henry's reaction to Molly telling him that she killed his father. Um, the realization that, uh, the father definitely had something more going on. Uh, again, that ending just blew me away and I really wanted to watch the next episode but obviously can't because I have to wait until next week. <laughs> so can't wait to hear what you guys say. Bye. That's awesome, Steve. Great voicemail as always. I know we're all stuck. We we yeah. can't we can't watch, which is I, good. I feel oh, I like when a show's like this. I think it's good because you kind of can sit there and think about it, and you get prepped. If it's if it's like kind of lost in space, like I feel that's more of a bingey type show where you kind of have to keep hitting it to keep the momentum going. But this, mm-hmm. like the momentum's there for next week. Like I'm ready for Wednesday to get here to watch it. I know, and it does force us. You know, when we have this week, you know, we can think about it. 
we can, you know, let it kind of roll around in your mouth a little bit and, uh, you know, make those thoughts and those connections and you can talk about it with other people. And, you know, you have time for that reflection because I feel like there's so much you can, you can pick up on so many little things and so many little theories that you need that time. I mean, you could totally binge this show, but I'm so glad that during the first run that you can't do that because, Mm. um, and it's also nice to know that everyone, whether they like it or not, is in the same (laughs) boat as us that we have to wait every week that we, we choose to never, ever skip ahead and that we always stick to one show per week, whenever it's stranger things and black mirror and all those things that are, you know, available for everyone else. Now everyone has to follow us, whether they want to or not. So sorry, um, <laughs> my little selfish rant for <laughs> for the week. Anyway, thank you everyone so much for your awesome feedback. I love everyone has been so engaging with this show, and everybody's super positive, and everybody has so many things to say about it that I absolutely love it. And I love talking with everyone about it. So thank you everyone for all of your engagement on our social media pages and for writing in, um, on our Facebook page, sending us voicemails and emails. Um, there's so much that we can pick apart about the show. And I think that everybody has something really great to say. So thank you everyone for taking the time. Yeah. Thanks everybody. All right. So next week we'll be reviewing the seventh episode of Castle Rock titled the queen. Uh, and a very short description here. Memories haunt Ruth Deaver. Interesting. Is that a spoiler? Mm. <laughs> Seems like it a little bit. Yeah. The queen. Interesting. Um, oh gosh, it's going to kill me to wait a week, but I don't have a choice. Um, well, we're really excited for you to travel to Castle Rock with us while visiting. You can also follow us on Twitter at Strange T Cast. You can like us on Facebook at www.facebook.com slash Stranger T Cast. And you can check us out on Instagram at Strange underscore Indeed underscore pod. I want more followers on our Instagram page. So that's everyone's um, task for the week is before we record next week and before you leave us feedback, go like that page. Yep. I've been posting pictures of my gains. So if you want to see me go from, I don't know. I couldn't think of any good things. If you want me to see you go from flood to (laughs) massive, go there. (laughs) You can get... Popeye arms. Is that what we're going for? <laughs> I have really strong forearms. <laughs> Eating your spinach. Awesome. Yeah, go follow us out there. I, I love engaging with everyone. So make sure you go like all of our pages and follow us. Um, I have tons of fun with all you guys talking about all the shows. Um, but you can also email us at strangerthingscastpod at gmail.com. And you can also find us on the TV Time app. You can find Strange Deed and a bunch of other great podcasts like The Walking Dead cast, which is currently covering Fear of the Walking Dead at podcastica.com. Go out and leave a review for Strange Deed or any of the other great podcastica podcasts on Apple Podcast. Yeah, Fear just came back and Jason and Lucy are back podcasting on that and they do a, such a great job. They've got such great chemistry and do a really great job uh, talking about that show. So check them out. And speaking of great podcasts, make sure to check out Sean and his other podcast, The Language of Bromance, comes out every Sunday. Yeah, we've got a lot of fun stuff we're talking about. We're talking about bro health in this previous week for a thing called Death Grip. You're, if you're a dude and you're curious what it is, check it out. It's, it's very think, interesting. I think everybody wants to know what death grip <laughs> is. Um, yeah. 
All right. Well, that's our show. Episode 52, Filter. Until next time, I'm Rima. And I'm Sean. And Mofavo is strange indeed.